praise the Lord. Is that the way you feel tonight? You're going to follow Jesus? Amen. I, I'm glad you feel that way because that's what we're talking about is discipleship. <laughs> and uh, I love singing that song. And you can really feel it and it's easy to sing it when the bass is thumping and the drums are going. I'll follow Jesus all the way. But do you know where all the way is? All the way to Calvary. I'll follow Jesus all the way. Amen. Well, that's, uh, that's quite a turn from drawing and cruise ships and gift cards and all that. Get you in here and then say, take up your cross. Talk about bait and switch, man. Amen. There is no life, though, like living for the Lord. Amen. There is nothing like it. Everything else is cheap substitute. It is not the real thing. It will, it glitters, but it's not gold. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. <laughs> Nevertheless, I live. And he couldn't make up his mind. Yet not I. <laughs> but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who has saved me. It's, it's counter to the natural man that the way to live is to die. Just doesn't make sense to this old flesh. But I want to read tonight Luke chapter 9 verse 23. Two verses Pastor read last week, and this will be our jumping off place, I guess you'd say, before you're seated. Luke 9, 23. He said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. What a paradox. What a paradox. Why don't we go to the Lord one more time, thank him for his presence, and ask him to be with us in the next few minutes. Lord, so grateful and honored to be in your presence tonight. What a great spirit we feel here among the people of God. Lord, we invite you into this place. We ask that you would anoint our hearts and minds to hear your word tonight, that we would know your voice and we would allow it to speak clearly into our lives, and that we would be forever changed by the hearing of the word, that we would receive it with meekness and that it would be engrafted into our word, into our hearts and that our souls would be saved thereby. Lord, we're asking that you would do these things in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. We are continuing in our vein or in the theme of discipleship for this month. And I'm so thankful for Pastor's keynote again last week. He kicked off our month on disciples or on stewardship rather two months ago in much the same way. But 
felt like last week he really gave the clarion call for what discipleship really is all about. And, you know, in our world today, you are no doubt familiar with many people. You come across them, you interact with them. They call themselves Christians. But there is a wide variety of evidence that we would see in people's lives of their Christianity, of their having been affected by the risen Christ. And it causes us to wonder what is God's expectation? What is his desire for his people? What is his desire for us? Well, he has laid it out for us and he has put it in plain text for us. And it's, it's hard for us to, it's hard for us to stomach. It's hard for us to, to actually live by it. Um, there's some music in these monitors up here, I think. Um, but or I hope they're, I hope it's in the monitors, not, it's just in my head. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Okay. It's not just me. We're having a mass delusion together. It's, I don't know if that's comforting or not, but here we are. <laughs> but the Lord has the Lord has indeed laid out for us what he intends of his of his followers and um the word disciple is used many times in the New Testament and it deserves some attention as pastor indicated last week it has some very specific meanings in the ancient world um in uh, the Jewish culture a disciple was someone who had attached themselves to a teacher. They followed that rabbi. They followed his teachings. They studied after him. And there was a course of study that over some period of time, there was an expectation that they also would become a rabbi. They would grow to uh, be uh, a rabbi. They would mature to a point where they could also function as teachers. The Lord uses that word, but his intention is a little bit different um, most of the rabbis, there would be people who would come after them, and um, if they could, uh, if they could cut it, if they could cut the studies, and they could, they showed enough uh, promise, the rabbi might accept them. The Lord, when he went for disciples, though he didn't wait for them to come to him, he went after the disciples, and he chose them. And as Pastor read last week, the call was very clear. It's very. Um, stark when you are reading the scripture that goes and finds these men occupied in their daily life and in their daily business. And he just comes up to them and says, follow me. And there's something about his voice, something about his call, something about his manner. I don't know what it was, but the scripture just says they immediately followed him. Straightway, they left their nets and followed him. He says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And and I hear my own voice, my own head saying, well, I didn't really want to fish for men. I was enjoying just being a fisherman, just fishing for fish. But there's something about the call of God that arrests a man and gets his attention and, and draws him. And so the character of all of the calling that you see in the scripture of these disciples, his 12 especially, the, the character of it is there's something about the call that that demands an immediate reaction, demands an immediate answer, and and uh, there is an immediate response. And and uh, when he calls John and James, they're with their father Zebedee, and the scripture says they left their nets and their father. 
It was the family business. They just left it and they went. There's something about following Jesus that is not at all casual, but it will turn your life upside down. The reason why most of us have been willing to, to the degree that we have, follow the Lord is because we needed our lives turned upside down. They were already upside down. We needed somebody to set them back aright. And when we came into the presence of the Lord, and when he called us, and we felt that drawing, there was something that rose up in us that said, this is the revolution that I need. This is the, this is the change that has to happen in my life. And so... Consequently, we see that if we're going to be disciples, if we're going to, if, if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, there's going to be some changes that come. Now, it's interesting in Luke that he would say, take up your cross and follow me. The cross didn't mean much to them at that point because Jesus had not been crucified. So why is he calling for us to take up a cross? That would only really make sense in retrospect. Because the other thing that is distinctive about Jesus' call for disciples was not that there was an expectation that the disciple would grow to be a rabbi, but the expectation was you will never be greater than your master. The master will always be greater. The servant will never be greater than the master. And he said to them, if the master is hated of all men then you should not expect anything different because the servant is not greater than the master. So everything that you see me suffer, you should be prepared to suffer. We sang that song, you know, maybe we don't sing it much anymore. To be like Jesus. On earth I long to be like him. And he says, the son of man hath not a place to lay his head. The foxes have dens and... The birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. When we say we want to be like Jesus, we're thinking of feeding the 5,000, raising the dead, healing the sick. We're not thinking of all of the other, the rejection, the um, being cast out, being falsely accused, being threatened. How many times in Jesus' life did he have to rather miraculously step from one situation to avoid a premature death. If there was anything that Jesus knew in his life on earth was that he was on the clock and that there was certain death waiting for him at the end. And in fact, that's what he would say to Pilate at his, prior to his crucifixion. For this cause was I born. <laughs> to this end came I into the world. The biggest risk for Jesus was that, that somehow he would not be on the right clock, though, and things would race ahead. And so if you read, especially in the book of John, you can see he's carefully moderating as he lives his life. He would go to Jerusalem, and he would allow the heat to get turned up, but it would get, things would get a little too hot, and he would withdraw. Because he's, he's measuring, he's on, a, he's on a clock, and he's got to be at the right place at the right time. But the point is that all through his life, there is this tension and there is conflict and there is ever-present death that's threatened to him. And then he turns to the disciples and says, the servant is not greater than the master. So we say, why do we feel such stress? Why do we feel such pressure in this age? It's because the servant is not greater than the master. 
And if we're going to follow Jesus, there's going to be some change and some impact that happens in our lives. Kyle Eidlerman wrote several years ago a book entitled Not a Fan. And uh, it's an interesting book because, you know, Pastor mentioned last week, even the idea of being a follower has taken on some new connotation and new meanings with all this social media stuff that people just click and say, I'll follow. And so any update, you know, you get a little notification in your feed of all these people that you're following. That's not the kind of following that Jesus was talking about. And, and Adlerman makes the point that you can be, you can know a lot about something or someone and not know that someone. If you're a fan, whether it's some celebrity or some athlete or uh, whatever, you know, you can say you follow the Astros, but does that mean that you know the Astros? No. Not in our modern connotation, it doesn't. Now, you can, know, you can know an awful lot of things about them. You can know batting averages. You can know tendencies. You can know what pitches they can hit, what pitches they can't hit. But you still, you just know a lot about them. But do you know them? And the question for us is, do we find ourselves being a fan of Jesus? Do we know the 23rd Psalm and not know the Good Shepherd? Do we know... All these things about the church, about God, about his plan, and yet not know him. That is the kind of following that the Lord is laying out when he says, you just you got to take up your cross. Yeah. See, for a fan, it's something that we've accepted in our culture, that you can be a fan of somebody who does something. And that just means you know a lot of details about them. Hopefully, mostly they're public life but you don't you still don't know them but but actually what happens is the more you know about them and the less you know them the creepier it gets they call those people stalkers right you know where they live you know how many kids they are you know how many kids you know how old their kids are but you don't know them they these are the people that get restraining orders against people like that And so the question for us in our own walk with God is how creepy are we? Do we know him? Do we we desire to spend time with him? Now, Romans 5, the Lord has provided access to us. But if we don't, if we just exercise, don't exercise that access. We're not in his presence. We're not communicating with him. And all we know is a myriad of facts about him. We run the risk of being a stalker and not a follower. If we're really going to be discipled, if we're really going to be changed, it's going to be because there is a relationship between us and him. There's there's communion that's taking place. There's direct communication. We're talking back and forth. We're, we're finding out what is it that, that pleases the Spirit of the Lord. What is it that grieves the Spirit of God? And so this is kind of this process of the rest of our lives of being discipled. 
See, there's another way to think of being a disciple. Think of it as this student, but it's more than just an academic student. It's more than just um, sitting down and having a discussion about academic facts. If a person was a disciple of a particular teacher, then they followed those teachings and they lived according to those teachings. This is what strikes me so much about our modern, so-called modern Christianity. Allow me to just paint with a broad brush for a minute. Is that people claim to be Christian, but you can't tell it by the way that they live or the way that they act. And they say, well, I believe in Christ. What they mean by that is that they have some... They have some mental assent that, yes, I agree that Christ lived and that he died. But in some ways, they practice a, a sort of practical atheism because they act and they live as though there is no God, even though they may say with their lips that there is. And, and somehow, this has achieved some sense of normalcy in our lives, which striking because if somebody were to tell you on the street that they were a disciple of Buddha, you would have certain expectations of the way that they live. Or if they tell you they're a disciple of, of some other religion, you would fully have an expectation that you would be able to observe that in their life. And somehow, as Christians, I, we seem sometimes to give ourselves a bit of a pass on all of that. Now, I, I understand Christianity is different. I understand the grace of God is, um, is the only thing that's actually saving us. It's the grace of God that allows us to be saved. But I, I'm afraid that perhaps we underestimate the negative impact of sin. I'm not saying that we live in sin but how do we feel about sin? Are, is there a part of us that is actually revulsed? I'm not talking about how you feel about sinners, but about things that are displeasing to God. Do those things displease us? Or have we been lulled into some sort of sense of security, a false sense of security maybe, but there is this this sense that, well, grace well, grace is just going to take care of this. And because we live under the grace of Calvary, we begin to tolerate things that we would not otherwise tolerate. I think we have to kind of shake ourselves a little bit and say, if I really am, according to the scripture, if I'm a follower of Jesus, there should be certain marks in my life that indicate that. Someone should be able to tell. What was it pastor said last week, the question that was asked, what is it that you did today that only a Christian would do? Can you think of something that you did today that only a Christian would do? Or do we kind of have this separation where we compartmentalize our spiritual life away from the rest of our lives? And we talked about this when we were talking about stewardship and actually, if you think about it, this idea of discipleship follows directly from stewardship. But especially the idea that there is no compartmentalization in the life of a believer. All of our life is sacred. All of our life is either glory and honor to Jesus or it's dishonor to him. And so this is why, this is why we have to be so 
I guess you would say, so careful and so concerned about these things. Now, following Jesus, the Lord is not... It, it requires some changes. It requires us to make changes. But actually, those things are really not sacrifices. And Pastor was making this point last week. And this is why I bring up, are we too casual and, and unconcerned about sin? Do we allow things to come in thinking that grace will take care of them? Because actually, sin is destructive. Sin will destroy you. It will destroy your present earthly life, and it will destroy you eternally. Now, none of us would want to handle deadly things casually. I mean, we've just been through COVID, and we're all impacted by it. And we all took care, and and, uh, not to bring up bad memories and all of those sorts of things. But, you know, we, we made changes and we did things differently because we were concerned about COVID's ability to take our life, this present life. And I think we've all, we all have people that we lost during that, during that phase, during that time. But I'm going to tell you, sin is a lot more deadly than COVID. Sin is a lot more destructive than any disease that we that you might come in contact with. And we have to be we have to be concerned and careful that we're not becoming casual about this. When the Lord gives instruction, and in fact, you know, we talk about Matthew twenty eight, nineteen, and for those of you that, that rings familiar, your mind probably just went to baptism. But remember the whole verse, he says, Go ye therefore into all the world, teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to obey whatsoever commandments I have taught you. Well, the verb there, teach all nations, literally means make disciples. And he says, teaching them to obey whatsoever things I have commanded you. There is an obedience that goes with being discipled. So let me, let me just back up and let's take a 10,000 foot view for just a minute. We had the Garden of Eden. And the Lord gave one command in the Garden of Eden, don't eat of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. They violated that command. That disobedience, that disobedience resulted in a separation and their removal from the presence of God. So that tells us right there that their behavior, (laughs) obedience, these are things that are important to God. Now, by the time you get to the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, the Lord gives them 10 commandments. So we've gone from one commandment. Now we have 10. This is the 10 commandments. This is the law. This is an expression of God's nature. But now let me ask you something. Was God just trying to keep them from having a good time? Was that the reason for don't eat of the tree that's in the midst of the garden? Was that the reason for the Ten Commandments? Was to, was to be a killjoy and keep people from enjoying life? No. It was to protect them from the destructive nature of sin. In the same way that your children misunderstand you when you say don't play in the street. 
they think you're just trying to be a killjoy. That there's really a lot of fun playing in the middle of the street and you being the old stick-in-the-mud parent that you are, you want to keep them from having a good time. And you want to say, no, I'm trying to keep you from being a greasy spot in the middle of the road. This is what the Lord is saying to us. Like, you're, you're playing with spiritual serpents. You're, you're playing with death. And the Lord is saying, I'm trying to make a boundary here to keep you from that. But the problem, of course, is that our human nature is counter to God. And so in our own natural self, we can't do that. I've probably made this point before. I've probably said this before. But, you know, the Ten Commandments are pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple stuff. Really, a kindergartner can understand. And you would think, how much a better place would the world be if you could live even by the five rules that have to do with interaction with each other? Like, don't steal, don't kill, don't covet, don't, you know, commit adultery, don't... You know, it's pretty simple stuff. If you could live by these simple rules, what a great place the world would be. But the point is that you can't. Why? Because the natural man is, is enmity with God. He is constantly at war with God. And this is what Paul says in Romans 8. He talks about how that it's impossible for the natural man to do these things. Now, you remember Romans 8. There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus... So he's talking about those who are living according to the Spirit, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So they have been filled with the Spirit. There's no condemnation to them. They don't walk after the flesh. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Notice what he says in verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son... In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemn sin in the flesh. What what does that mean? What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. The Ten Commandments were written on tables of stone. You can hang them on the wall and you can look at them. But they give you no power in themselves to obey. The obedience depends on me. I have to look at the law and I have to go down the list and I have to obey. But the law... Its weakness was my human nature won't allow me to obey. The natural man, down around verse 7, is enmity with God. It doesn't know God. It can't know God. So what was the Lord's solution? The Lord's solution was you got to be born again. Your old nature is rotten. Your heart is stony. I can't do anything with it. I've got to give up on that. I'm going to take the stony heart out of your flesh. I'm going to give you a tender heart of flesh. I'm going to give you the Holy Ghost. Now, you have the new nature. He said in Jeremiah, he said, I'm going to make a new covenant, but I gave up on the old kind of covenant. Writing on tables of stone did no good. I'm going to write my law on your hearts, on the tablets of your heart. That's what happens with the new birth. So what should our response be? If our nature has changed, we were enmity with God, we were fighting against God, Well, we would expect that now that we have the nature of God, there would be some change in us. And that we would not be so contrary with God. We wouldn't constantly be fighting with God. But that, in fact, there would be a part of us that desires to live for Him. That desires to be pleasing to Him. That desires to do the things that are approved in His sight. 
And this is what Paul says, Romans 7. He says, you know what? I, <laughs> I got this spirit on the inside of me. There's this tension, right? I, I, the things I want to do, those are the things my flesh doesn't want to do. And he said, when I would do good, <laughs> evil is present with me. He's, he's expressing, he's articulating what I think all of us know is that even after receiving the spirit of the Lord, there is still this old natural flesh that wants to get its way. It desires to be coddled. It desires to be comforted. It wants to be taken care of. And yet there is this nature of God inside of us that's rising up that says, I want to do the things that are pleasing to God. I want my natural reflex to be not to get angry whenever someone does me wrong, but to look at them through the eyes of the Lord and to see them as the Lord sees them and to realize they, they need something from him. And that their behavior is, is because of the fact that they have not been regenerated, that they have not been born again. You know, you notice as you mature, you should notice sometimes something happens and you don't react the way you used to react. <laughs> there might have been a time where somebody said something on the job Somebody did something on the freeway, and you would have reacted in one way. But as you allow the Lord to mature you in your walk with him, your natural reflex becomes according to the spirit of God and not according to the natural man. And every once in a while, that Holy Ghost ought to just kind of leak out a little bit, right? It, it, ought, to cause, it ought to cause a change in our behavior. Maybe, maybe the way to look at this is that the, what is it that, what is it that gets our attention? What is it that, that really um, draws us in? The psalmist said, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. See, most of the natural man, most of the time, we don't like the law. We want to do what we want to do. We want to say what we want to say. We want to be unfettered. That's what we think we want. But the psalmist said, the blessed man, his delight is in the law of God. Galatians 5, Paul gives a list. First of all, he starts with the works of the flesh. And in the King James, some of these are kind of inaccessible. But study them out. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, revelings, rage, things of the flesh. What is, if I, if I take inventory in my life, how is my life characterized? Is it characterized by the works of the flesh? Or is it characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. You know, to the unregenerate man, that last list sounds like a boring bunch of stuff. Right? Who wants peace all the time? We need some drama. We need some action. We need the natural man just, it's like all of that stuff. Long-suffering? Are you kidding me? Like, get me some relief up in here. But the regenerate man, 
as the Spirit of the Lord begins to work in our lives, what we see is that our, our desires begin to shift. Why? Because the Lord is writing his law in our hearts. It's becoming internalized. It's becoming a part of our nature. And so there, I've probably mentioned this before. I, I hope I'm not just bouncing all over the place here. But when, when we receive the Holy Ghost, that's, that's what we would call justification. The Lord has counted us righteous. So we repent. We say, Lord, I, I don't want to live that way anymore. And we turn ourselves toward the Lord. You know, this is what, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached this message. And it's the same message that Stephen wound up getting stoned for. Was that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was the Lord of glory. And he came and you killed him. You rejected him and you had him killed. And when the spirit of the Lord was moving on the day of Pentecost, they said, what do we do? And he said, repent. That means you got to change your mind. The one that you rejected, the one that you set up, the one that you had killed, you got to change your mind. The one that you have run from your whole life, you've got to turn and run toward him. And then he said, baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, when the Lord fills you with his spirit, he is counting you righteous. The Lord doesn't dwell, right, in the presence of sin. So it's his grace that he gives you. Abraham, Paul said, believe God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. When you exercise faith, you turn to him in repentance, you're obedient in baptism, and you honestly seek him by his grace, he fills you with his spirit. That's the very nature of God he's putting inside of you. He's counting you righteous. Now, he has to do that. Because for the next process to take place, you've got to have that power of the Spirit. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Part of that power is to overcome sin. So justification happens at this point in time where you're counted righteous and you're filled with the Spirit. The nature, the presence of God is placed inside of you. Now, the rest of your life is what we would call sanctification. That is the process of becoming what God has already called you to be. He has already declared that you are righteous. But now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're actually able to overcome the sin that we were not able to overcome previously. So, this whole process, if you will, of discipleship, is us learning, having received the Spirit of God, we are now able to get the victory over the things that would have destroyed us had God not stepped in. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is the work of the Spirit of the Lord in our lives. Here's the way I like to think about it. When we receive the Spirit of the Lord, we have our old human nature still, and we have the Spirit of the Lord. We have the nature of God. And sometimes, all the time, we find them at war with each other. Which nature is going to win? 
Who's going to win out? Let me ask you this. Before you knew the Lord, no doubt you knew that some things in your life were destructive. Amen? And, and no doubt you probably said, if I keep doing that, whatever it was, addiction, rage, bar fights, whatever it is, if I keep doing this, if I keep living like this, I'm going to die. So you said, you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going there anymore. I'm not talking like that anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to get caught up in whatever it was. And depending on how hard-headed you were, you had some success. Sometimes a couple of hours, sometimes a couple of days. You're real hard-headed, maybe a couple of weeks, right? But the truth is, your nature was so counter to God that it didn't matter how much you knew in your mind, your nature drove you to participate in things. And you found yourself... If I'm not right, I don't think I have to be a prophet to say this. You found yourself defeated over and over again by the same enemies. You tried to overcome, but you could not. Now, you came and you gave it all to the Lord. You said, I can't do it. And the Lord said, I know. I've been waiting for you to figure that out. You come, he fills you with his spirit. Now, the Lord gives you victory in some areas. Maybe a a few areas that... Where it seemed overwhelming, and the Lord just gives you an immediate victory. It's almost like the children of Israel at the Red Sea. They don't see how they're going to get across. God does it one night. It's all done. It's taken care of. They're out on the other side. The Egyptian armies drown behind them, and they're free. And there's some things in our life God gives us immediate victory over. But then there are some enemies that you have to move forward and you have to engage. That process of engagement is the Lord saying that same spirit that gave you that immediate victory is able to help you overcome step by step. And there's a process to this overcoming. So back to my question, which nature is going to win? I've still got my old nature that wants to be coddled and comforted. I have the nature of God that's saying you need to do these things that are pleasing to him. So which nature is going to win? It's the nature that you feed. It's the nature that you create an atmosphere for and allow it to grow and nurture it and, and you allow it to you take care of it. If you, if you are tempted, giving into that temptation doesn't satisfy the temptation. It strengthens the temptation. So the next time it comes around, it's a lot stronger. The only way to, the only way to defeat the temptation is to starve it. It gets weaker as you starve it. But the only way you can starve it is with the power of the Holy Ghost. So I think where we're headed with all of this is, okay, how do I create an environment in my life in which the Holy Ghost can thrive, in which I can grow and mature, and the strength of the Holy Ghost can be brought to bear in the areas of my life where I need victory, relationships, addictions, whatever the situation is. How do I create in my life an atmosphere where the Holy Ghost can thrive? Well, that's what we call... Spiritual disciplines, spiritual habits. That's what you call taking up your cross. That's following Jesus. What do you mean, Brother Starks? Well, whenever you guys, you met that girl that's going to be your wife, what did you do? You wanted to spend time together all the time. You wanted to, you wanted to talk. You wanted to communicate. You, all your friends were saying, oh, my word. 
you know, you're no fun anymore. You, all you want to do is talk to her. All you want to do is go out with her. But there was something that drew you into that relationship. If you're going to be affected and changed by your relationship with the Lord, it's going to be because we spend time in those relationships, in that relationship with the Lord, in those times of communion and communication. What I mean, if we're going to starve the human nature and we're going to feed the nature of God in our lives, there's going to have to be certain things that we cut out of our lives. We take an inventory of things that are in our lives. There are some things that need to be removed. There are some things that are good that are already there. Those need to be multiplied. And then there are other things that we don't have that we need to add to our lives. What we remove from our life, those are things that are that feed desires that are not pleasing to the Lord. We call, if you look, if you study spiritual disciplines, it's not really anything, it's not rocket science. There's disciplines of abstinence and disciplines of engagement. What do they mean? There are some things you discipline yourself to abstain from. Why is that? Because I know when I participate in that, it stirs up stuff that then I have to deal with after. And I can, I can give you some guidelines, but you know what? You need to let the Holy Ghost talk to you about things that you need to cut out from your life. I can give you certain principles. I can say you need to be careful what you do with entertainment. You need to be careful what you watch, what you read, what you let into your, what you let into your mind. But you also need to allow the Holy Ghost to say, it may be okay for other people to do this, but for whatever reason, personality, past, whatever, when you engage in this certain activity, it stirs up desires, feelings. It stirs up old memories that really you don't even want to deal with those things anymore. And so you allow the Lord to say, you know what, why don't you just cut that out of your life? And it will free up some energy and time for you to be engaged in some other things. Right. Time in the word, Bible study, prayer helping those that are less fortunate, engaging in the things. So there's these disciplines that we, disciplines of abstinence, disciplines of engagement. What do those things do? Are we, are we earning favor from the Lord whenever we pray or whenever we fast or whenever we read the Bible? Are we, are we currying favor with God? No, what we're doing is we're making ourselves available to him. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament about a woman and I'll close with this. It's a story about a woman who was in debt. And the, the creditors were coming to take her sons. They were going to take them off into slavery. And she said to the prophet, I, I don't have anything to do. I don't have any way to make a living. My sons are the only thing keeping me alive. And now they're going to come and take my sons. What am I going to do? So the prophet instructs her. She says, I have a little cruise of oil in my house. And he says, well, go borrow vessels from all your neighbors. And he says, borrow not a few. I love that. Don't, don't just settle. You get a bunch of vessels. And so they gather all the vessels and they close the door. And the prophet took that little cruise of oil and he started pouring into all these pots. From one little cruise into all these pots. And every pot was full. Every pot they brought, the oil would just keep flowing, keep flowing, keep flowing. Finally, the prophet says, okay, bring me another one. And they said, that's it. There's no more. And the scripture said, the oil stayed 
at the moment where there was not another vessel, the oil stopped flowing. And the prophet said, now you can go sell all that oil, pay off your debts, you can live off the rest. What's the lesson for us? When we create room in our lives for the Holy Ghost to move, the Lord will move in our lives. He will fill the empty spaces in our lives that we create for him. And the Spirit of the Lord will move, and he will work, and he will give us strength, and he will bring victory in our lives. But when we run out of room, the oil stops flowing. When we participate in spiritual disciplines, we come to church, we talk to people, what we're doing, we're creating room in our lives. We're, we're bringing empty vessels before the Lord and we're saying, hey Lord, why don't you fill this one up? Why don't you fill these two hours up that we're going to worship together? Why don't you fill up this time where I'm reading your word or I'm setting aside some time for prayer or fasting? Here's a, here's a vessel, Lord, why don't you fill that up? And as we do that, the spirit of the Lord will flow in our lives. So the key to keeping the Lord flowing in our lives is continually creating these opportunities and these open spaces for him to move. Why don't we stand together tonight? When you read the Sermon on the Mount, you read the Gospels, you read Luke where he says, where the Lord says, you got to take up your cross and follow me. It seems all too much. There is no... Um, doesn't seem like it's possible. It doesn't seem like it's possible for me to do. But I hear the words of Paul in the letter to the Philippians where he says, I count all things but loss for the knowledge of him. Everything else, nothing else matters. Now this is Paul. He's close to the end of his life. The great apostle Paul. Why? Why do you count everything else a loss? That I may know him. That I may know him. Nothing else matters but knowing him. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, you run the gamut, man. From the greatest to the lowest, Paul said, I want to know it all. And he says, I don't, believe me, I don't count myself to have apprehended but, but what I'm doing, I'm forgetting all the times I didn't measure up in the past, forgetting those things which are behind me. I press toward the upward call that's in Christ Jesus. I, I've got to know him. That's got to be the thing that moves me and carries me into his presence. It's that knowledge of him and the activity of the Spirit of God in my life. It's the key to being a disciple, to being a follower. You know, one of the words for disciple is an apprentice. It's not just a student, not just an academic situation, but an apprentice. An apprenticeship, there's, there is some book learning, there's some study, but an apprenticeship is built on practice, that you are working day to day, side by side with the master. If you're a, a plumbing apprentice or an electrician's apprentice, you're working, you're following instructions, you're looking at what they do, you're trying to mimic that, you're imitating that. Well, if we're an apprentice to the master, what is he the master of? Well, in him was life. <laughs> and the life was the light of men. He's the master liver. Anything about life, he's the master. 
So, Lord, if I have questions, I, I just want to be by your side. I, w- I want to know, but I, I'm watching, Lord. How, how would you respond? What are you doing in this situation? That's what it means to be his disciple. Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer and ask him, Lord, somehow you've got to stir us and draw us. I, I want to follow you. I want to really follow you. Not just, not just be a fan, not just be a stalker. I want to be a follower, Lord. Lord, we thank you tonight for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are drawing us closer individually and as a congregation into your presence. I pray, Lord, that you would work in our lives, that your spirit would flow through us, that we would consciously create opportunities for you to work in our hearts and in our lives, and that your power would be brought to bear. You know that each of us, Lord, you have brought us through great victories, through great trials, and through great victory. But you know, Lord... That we're not, we haven't apprehended, we haven't arrived, we don't have the full and complete victory yet. So Lord, let your spirit continue to draw us higher. Let it continue to, to pull us to greater victory that we would overcome and that we would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we ask all these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you tonight. The Lord, Lord bless you. Remember our announcements this weekend, and we will look to see all of you over the weekend at the wedding and in service on Sunday. Amen. Lord bless you.